It's strange, isn't it? Time flies, and time also drags on, and on, and on, like Groundhog Day when you're in this pandemic. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. This Friday marks six months since Oregon's first confirmed coronavirus case. The Oregonian and Oregon Live's Imi Green took a look at what's happened since February 28th, those six months that feel both like an eternity and a flash in the pan. We talked about why Oregon is faring well compared to other states, how that doesn't mean we're doing better than nations around the world, what Kate Brown has gotten right so far, and why public health experts say Oregonians are not out of the woods yet. Here's that conversation. Amy Green, thanks so much for taking time to talk to me today. Thanks. Happy to be here. It's kind of hard to believe, but it's been six months now since we've lived in this life that we're living. Um, <laughs> why did you want to take a look back at, at uh, how, how we've done so far since COVID-19 uh, first came to Oregon? Yeah, well, six months is a sizable chunk of time. In some ways, to me, it feels like it's actually gone really fast. That's probably because <laughs> I'm a reporter, and this yeah. is the busiest time that I think many of us have ever had in our careers. Um, there's so much to write about. But in some ways, it seems like a really long time. Um, the monotony of each day being cooped up in the house um, mm-hmm. and worrying. I think a lot of us um, worry about how things are going. We worry about the future. And this is just a good point in time to stop and look back and see how Oregon is done. What have we done well? What haven't we done well? And where are we headed? And, you know, nationally, it's pretty clear we're, we're not doing well when you look at the, uh, the state of the world. Uh, but locally or, or regionally, I guess, here in Oregon, how, how have we done compared to some of our neighboring states? Yeah, there's two ways to compare us. Um, there's, we can compare ourselves to the rest of the United States. And um, it actually came as a bit of surprise to me to see that Oregon has been doing fairly well. Um, It ranks uh, 44th lowest in the number of overall cases or infections, and it ranks 43rd lowest in the number of deaths Mm. since the pandemic began. That's not all that bad. But then there have been more than 24,000 identified known cases and more than 400 people have died. And that's just terrible. That's mind blowing to think um, at the beginning of this all um, on February 28th, when that first positive test result came back, that it would grow to these numbers. But as we know, it's far lower than the numbers for uh, the rest of the country, for the uh, for other states. Um, we've done far better than Washington, Idaho, and California. Um our immediate neighbors. So there are things to feel somewhat confident about that Oregon has been working hard and is headed in the right direction. But the other way to compare us, um, the other um, way to look at it Mm -hmm. is to compare us to the rest of the world. And there are countries in Asia, countries in Europe um, that I've looked at that uh, where we clearly Um, are doing much worse at this. Um, And I'm not just talking about island um, governments, uh, like in New Zealand uh, or Taiwan, um, who've done extraordinarily well. um, And life, uh, you know, is almost back to normal, although um, they do have their occasional flare ups. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm talking about 
uh, big countries um, that share borders with other countries um, in Europe. Um, we have Denmark um, and Norway and Germany, countries that have been able to send their kids back to schools and ha- not have huge outbreaks um, where they've had to really pull everything back. And that's because their number of cases, the spread in their communities is so much lower than it is here. So when people talk about sending um, American kids, Oregonians uh, back to school, it's a much dif- different situation here in the United States than it is in some of those other countries. And, you know, over in Asia, there's one country that I looked at, um, South, South Korea. Um, that country is uh, 12 times the size and population as Oregon. Um, and they had huge outbreaks there earlier than um, in Oregon. Uh, and their actual number of overall cases and overall deaths is lower than in Oregon. Um, they have 53 million wow. people. We have a little over 4 million people. When you put it that way, you know, it's uh, we can both uh, pat ourselves on the back for doing better than uh, some of our our fellow uh, American states here, but that's pretty staggering uh, to look at, you know, one of our close allies uh, and how well they've done in South Korea. Totally. So I guess taking those two complex thoughts that we're, we're doing better than a lot of our, you know, neighboring states, but not well overall, like what factors, I guess, on the positive side, what factors uh, are helping us uh, do better than states like Idaho or Washington? You know, I have to give uh, credit to Governor Kate Brown for acting relatively early on um, in for a governor of a U.S. state. Um, she closed schools statewide um, on March 16th, mm-hmm. which was 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 on, definitely on the earlier end. Um, she also instituted her stay at home order on March 23rd, which was um, part of an you know, the front wave of, um, there's a lot of states on that day that instituted state stay at home orders, but that was, you know, before she had instituted that order, um, I believe there were only four other states in the nation that had stay at home orders. We kind of lose sight of that. I mean, that, you know, in the moment, I think it kind of felt like what's going on when, when are we going to do something? But yeah. Why aren't we locking down in, in Wuhan and in China, you know, Many, many millions of people were locked down to squash the spread of this disease. And it felt like, yeah, why, why aren't we acting? But when you step back in hindsight and you look mm-hmm. at uh, the moves that um, Oregon made, uh, it actually was kind of on the front wave of things. Um, another thing that I think has really helped Oregon is the mask requirement, the statewide mask requirement. And you can look at that two ways. Um, There were global health professors, there were um, public health experts who study the world, um, and particularly have looked at Asia. Mm -hmm. And they knew that masks were effective at stopping the spread Mm -hmm. of diseases like SARS in 2003, the outbreak. Um, Asia learned a really tough lesson then um, and about the spread of disease. And um, one of the things they learned is that masks really help. And so when COVID-19 started spreading, um, everyone uh, in some of these countries started wearing masks, even very young children. Um, and that has really helped clamp down on the disease in those countries. Um, so knowing that and looking at the United States and how um, nationally 
we were told don't wear masks. It takes away masks from healthcare professionals. Um, and then that was reversed on April 3rd. The CDC came out and said, okay, no, actually, uh, we should all be wearing masks. Um, right. And, even if they're not surgical, right? There's concern about personal protective right. equipment. And thank you for pointing that out. We could yeah. we can wear face coverings. I call them masks. Uh, you can right. wear a homemade mask. Um, and, and today there's a lot of different variety, varieties of face coverings and masks that don't take away from healthcare workers that are on the market that are actually pretty highly effective. And I do feel like Oregon was late in um, adopting statewide mask requirements. Um, but there are many, many states that were late. I mean, we have to look at the the, the wider picture here that Oregon is part of the United States. And we, you know, that reversal, we were originally told not to wear masks. And then we were told, go ahead um, and wear them. They're helpful. The CDC said that on April 3rd, it mm-hmm. wasn't till about 12 weeks later, that um, the governor started um, adopting mask mandates. And I felt like that was a long time. Um, New Jersey, New York, that region, um, in early April was having a really tough time um, with the spread of COVID-19. So it makes sense that the governors there were really desperate to try everything possible to help. And they both adopted in April uh, mask requirements statewide. Um, And we've seen how marvelously they've done, how well um, their efforts to um, stop the spread of COVID-19 have worked. And I think in large part, I mean, that's due to many things, but masks really helped. So we come along to um, June 24th in Oregon, and that's when um, the governor started requiring masks in seven counties. Um, A week, about a week later, July 1st, she expanded that to be a statewide mask mandate, um, but only indoors. And over the series of, you know, the the following weeks, um, she repeatedly expanded her mask requirements um, to require masks in outdoor public spaces when six Mm -hmm. feet of public distancing can't be maintained, and then to require it for younger children, not just 12 and over, five and over. Thank you for uh, walking us through all these time uh, timelines because it all kind of blurs together when you're living uh, in your in your home and working in your home as well. So, ha- have we been lucky at all um, in uh, in how the pandemic has rolled out or kind of our makeup in Oregon that's uh, helped us in terms of uh, the spread or does luck play a role? Yeah, I I think um, we're very fortunate here in Oregon. Um, when you look at how this pandemic played out, um, if you were on the East Coast, if you were in the New York area, you had tons of flights, tons of people coming in from Europe and bringing the virus into that region. Um, it's so densely populated there that um, the disease spreads much easier. We have a luxury in Oregon of being far more spread out. Um, on the West Coast, if we look at some of our neighbors like Seattle and there's various California Californian cities that have lots of connections to Asia. And the virus was coming over from Asia, direct flights. And to some extent, some of those communities are more densely populated than Oregon. Um, And so uh, the virus was seeded there much earlier and undetected, especially in the Seattle area. There's some really interesting um, research that's been done about how the virus spread um, 
quietly after the initial case in Seattle on January 21st, weeks went by and there was contact tracing and the public health officials thought, wow, it didn't spread, but it actually turns out that the virus had been very quietly spreading in the Seattle area. We had a leg up because the virus wasn't spreading as rampantly early on. And by the time we had our first uh, positive test case in Oregon on February 28th, we also had the luxury of learning a little bit more from other places. We had been watching Asia and other parts of the world, and we had also um, been able to watch some other states. We'd been able to watch what happened in Washington, and uh, we started to learn more about this virus and how to stop its spread. Um, well, let's take a break and come and talk a little bit more about the uh, first six months of COVID-19 uh, here in Oregon with Amy Green. Amy, we have written lots of stories of, you know, uh, people not complying with the mask order in Oregon, whether it's, you know, state troopers or people at Fred Meyer or, you know, any number of groups under the sun. But it seems like ultimately folks are complying. Is that your read that you've heard from public health officials and studies that Oregonians are actually doing a better job than, say, uh, folks uh, over in Idaho? Yeah, the New York Times did a really interesting analysis of mask usage across the country. I was impressed with how much detail was involved in this analysis. There's a map and you can go and basically hover over any section of the nation and see um, how people responded to a survey about mask usage. And um, in Oregon, it depends on where you are. Uh, in more densely populated areas, like in the Portland area, it seems like a lot more people um, are wearing masks. Uh, I, it's about 75 to 85 percent of people said that they always wear a mask when they go out in public and when they're close to other people in the Portland area. In Idaho, uh, it's definitely lower. There's parts of Idaho, I found um, parts that were below 30% of people saying that they always wear a mask. When I specifically looked at the Boise area, it was about 58% of people said that they always wear a mask when they leave home. And how are, how are their uh, rates uh, faring over in Idaho these days? I, I guess the, the metric is per 100,000 people, right? So when we, when we look at Idaho and we look at how many cases they've had, they ha they've had triple the number of cases per 100,000 residents as Oregon has had. And they've had 60% more deaths um, per 100,000 residents than Oregon has. Um, and that's, I mean, that's really significant. Um, there's been um, a national spotlight shined on Idaho um, for... Uh, this problem, this this raging problem, um, Oregon's in the 40, 43rd, 44th um, in the nation for lowest cases. Uh, Idaho ranks 21st for the highest wow. rate of infections in the country. It's uh, right behind California. And, you know, obviously, Oregon and, and Washington are uh blue states from their metro areas, but get out into the rural rural parts of the state, um, you're going to have a different um, political makeup. But Idaho is is a pretty conservative place, um, and they have a Republican governor, right? How did they handle the uh, mask situation there? People are encouraged to wear masks, um, but the governor of Idaho has not required masks statewide. The governor did uh, order a stay-at-home order in March, but he lifted it two weeks earlier than Oregon did. And when he lifted it, he lifted it a lot faster. Um, one thing that was interesting to me, I was reading the 
um, Idaho Statesman, the newspaper, the largest newspaper in Idaho. Mm -hmm. And um, the newspaper stated that as of June, there were so few restrictions um, in Idaho that, quote, most Idahoans can return to their lives largely as they did before Governor Brad Little issued the state stay-at-home order in March. Um, which is surprising to me. I mean, I don't know what it's like in Idaho. I haven't been there. I've been staying at home, but my life is drastically different um, (laughs) uh, in these past six months. It's different in every way. Uh, We gave Oregon some kudos earlier for some of the the positive steps that we've taken or or, uh, Governor Brown and her administration has taken. And, and, you know, ultimately, we actually, I'll I'll say we, because ultimately it comes down to Oregonians um, taking a lot of these steps. But um, what what is still lacking? I mean, it seems like testing is still an issue. I know from reporting on uh, racial discrepancies that, um, you know, testing capacity remains an issue in, in Oregon. Is that still kind of one of the biggest issues that we face or are there are there others? Testing is a huge issue because if you can't test people, you don't get a sense of the problem. You don't understand how prevalent the disease is. um, And you can't contact trace if you don't know who's sick. You can't go to those people and say, okay, you need to stay home and tell us everybody that you've been in contact with so we can call those people, so we can test those people and tell all those people to isolate themselves. Oregon is focused because of its limited testing capacity on testing um, almost entirely people who are showing symptoms. And that's that's super important to do. But it, when we know that about 40%, according to the CDC, of people who have COVID-19 show no symptoms, um, we're missing a huge chunk of the population. What else are we uh, missing or could, could be improved from your analysis or from talking to public health officials? Yeah, and I've talked to a handful of uh, people in the field of public health um, and who've been studying the spread of COVID-19. And yeah, testing is really important. Contact tracing is really important. We're struggling with that. Um, It it seems to be getting a little bit better, um, but there have been some really high percentages of um, cases that we have not been able to figure out Um, where they've come from. How did these people get sick? Um, For a while there, the state was um, close, was finding that close to 50% of its COVID-19 cases were untraceable, that um, contact tracers couldn't figure out um, how these people got sick, where they were getting sick. Um, And uh, that's, that's concerning too. So the public health officials are calling that community spread or sporadic spread, that it's spreading out in the community, um, unchecked, and um, we don't we don't know exactly where, and we can't really control the problem if we don't understand that either. One other really important piece of this is once um, if you are able to test and you are able to contact trace, um, we need to make sure that people are quarantining and isolating themselves so they aren't. Um, getting others sick. And part of the problem is you, you you say, oh, you've had contact, you've been exposed to the virus. Mm-hmm. So please stay home. Um, but test results are taking so long in some cases, seven days, 10 days, 12 days. Um, last month, I heard from someone who said it took 21 days to get test results, which is exceptionally long. But is someone really going to stay home for a week or two weeks, not knowing if they're 
infected or not. And if they feel fine, they might go out. And I've heard example after example of people going out into the community um, and then later finding out that they tested positive. One last part of that also is that people need places to quarantine and isolate themselves from their family members or their housemates. Um, A lot of people don't live in a super big place. They may not have an extra bathroom. And that is a major way the disease is spreading inside households. Um, So uh, in some other countries, they provide free of charge places for people to quarantine and isolate themselves. (laughs) But in Oregon, that's not happening on a large scale. And it's not happening in a, a lot of the country. And I should say these problems that I've described are not unique to Oregon. The testing, yes, is pretty bad in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And Oregon officials have said that's because the federal, in part, because the federal government hasn't been giving them a lot of um, testing supplies and kits because Oregon doesn't have a raging problem like some other states. Or Oregon is facing something that a lot of the rest of the country is facing with all these problems that I've just described. So where do we go from here? I mean, I mean, what what are you, uh, what are folks talking about or thinking about when we're six months in and we're a couple weeks out from, you know, school, quote unquote, starting, uh, which is uh, going to be a big stressor for uh, families uh, across the state. It's unsettling to think about, but I've talked to some um, public health experts who think that, um, Actually, I've talked to many public health experts who think that this is not going to get better until we have a vaccine, if we have a vaccine. A vaccine isn't a guarantee. Um, And if we do have a vaccine, when will it come? I mean, maybe at the earliest next year, um, early next year. uh, But that would be uh, amazingly fast. Um, If it takes um, a year from today, still, um, you know, that's six months a year that we are in this holding pattern of not being able to get back to our old lives, not being able to send our kids to school safely or open up every school statewide in Oregon. Um, I talked to one um, community health professor at Portland State University, and he told me that um, he thinks that uh, schools in Oregon are not going to start up in-person classes because it's just not going to happen when we have this level of spread in our community. And we're going to continue to have a high level of spread in Oregon and the country uh, because it's just people are not good at physically distancing and wearing masks. Um, And so this will go on until we have a vaccine. Um, The governor is a little more optimistic. Um, She's just said in a recent press conference that she thinks it is possible to open schools. Um, If we stay on this holding pattern, she thinks there'll be more than 200 days before we can open in-person instruction um, in schools. But she thinks it's possible to open schools, you know, way before that, if we do one of two things, if we really, if everyone really does start wearing a mask and does physically distant distance themselves and doesn't go to weddings or large parties or social gatherings where the disease has been spreading. And, um, you know, if if we follow those rules, um, we can get the numbers down low enough where we can send our kids back to school. Or she said the other option is she starts taking more action. She closes some businesses like restaurants 
and bars, or maybe she institutes some travel restrictions um, on people coming into Oregon and requiring them to isolate themselves. Plus, there's the whole uh, national landscape to see, you know, whatever happens with the, the presidential election will probably dictate some of this as well. Yeah, there could be a lot of changes coming in the future. Well, thank you for providing us a, a grim and, and uh, at points, optimistic uh, look at uh, the past six months. Uh, like you said, it kind of flew by, but it's also kind of surreal that, that it's already been six months at the same time. Yeah, totally. Thanks, Andrew. You know, thanks, Amy. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to Amy's story in the episode notes. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the program. You can support the show directly by subscribing to Oregon Live at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.